This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn, and if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. It's that working together is better. Whether it's a coalition in your community comprised of the shelter and rescue organizations, even better than that, adding in other agencies such as those in the social services field, this concept of collaboration is definitely something you've heard on the podcast before, and you will again, because it is that important as we, the collective we of the entire country, works to save every healthier, treatable pet. And the last mile is the hardest, as they say, so we are going to need each other, and the animals need us to work together to not only achieve the goal, but to sustain it. So coalitions are great, but another way to work together is a smaller relationship, maybe between, say, just two organizations. One, an organization that has a proven track record of success, and the other, still on the road to 90%. They could use a little bit of help. What's great about this, unlike a local coalition, they don't even have to be near each other. That's the core of the Shelter Collaborative Program at Best Friends. This is a two-part episode. This week, we sat down with a staff member at Best Friends helping to lead the Shelter Collaborative Program. And then next week, you'll hear from two people who are doing this right now. One mentor, Shelby Waters, who's the executive director of the Souris Valley Animal Shelter in Minot, North Dakota, and one fellow, Casey Renteria, the director of Ardmore Animal Care Animal Shelter in Oklahoma. We were so excited whenever Shelby contacted us and said, hey, I've kind of chosen Ardmore. I see y'all's numbers. I see y'all are struggling. And like I said, you know, I've been here a long time. When I first started, our numbers were, you know, 25% save rate, and they've struggled until the last four years. And so getting into this program and being offered all these resources and some of the funding, things I thought would happen in the next 10 years are going to happen this year. I think it's important to know, you know, we talk about Casey opening up and, and kind of letting this outsider come into her shelter, but I don't really think that was the greatest challenge. I think the greatest challenge was that Casey had to open up her shelter to her community through communicating that they needed fosters and communicating that they needed volunteers and wanted them to come inside the facility again. So it went really from being this closed off organization to saying, we need help and we're opening our doors and we've created a pathway so this community can come in and help and we want to be better and we need your help to do it. We'll hear more from the both of them next week, but today, first up to get the lowdown about the program overall, I spoke with Carrie Ducote, the National Senior Strategist with the Shelter Collaborative team. Well, Carrie, let's start with the basics. We say Shelter Collaborative Program. What does that mean? It means that we're matching shelters up. Historically, Best Friends has focused on shelters that have animals to save, and our regional teams really have been on the front lines of connecting them with the resources that Best Friends has to offer, providing them with grant money, consultation, you know, sort of whatever they need to be able to save more animals. And the idea of this program is that instead of Best Friends regional teams or municipal shelter support, whoever it is, really being on the front lines of supporting the shelter, it's another shelter that's doing that. So another shelter who's had to overcome similar challenges, who's made the decision and the transition to save more animals, to implement these proven strategies, you know, community cap programs, managed intake, open adoptions, all the things we talked about. There's a lot of shelters that do this stuff really well. And there's really no reason why Best Friends needs to be the one 
uh, handling all of these consultations ourselves. So we take shelters who are able to save more animals, who have the drive and the need to save more animals, and we match them up with with shelters who have already achieved 90% save rate in most cases and who have the bandwidth and the will to support another shelter. And usually we try to make the um, partnerships close in proximity because we found a lot of value in in in-person support. But uh, sometimes there's more value in being able to transport animals between the two shelters, which means that usually they're more geographically separated. So the matches are sort of all over the place. Some of them are close. Some of them aren't so close. And we just provide them with support in the beginning, getting connected to each other, coming up with a plan. We give them a a grant, a seed grant to support whatever sort of programming they feel like they need. And then we really just get out of the way and let them run with it. Okay. So what types of organizations are we talking about? How are you pairing them up? Uh, I I guess what sort of factors go into what you think will be a successful pairing? Some of the times it's very specific. Like we have a shelter in Berkeley County, South Carolina, and their gap, the number of animals they need to save to get to 90% is all cats. And they're having a lot of issues with vet access, like a lot of shelters. So they just got a new facility. They have a surgical suite. They're looking to hire a vet. Maybe they're going to contract out. So they're really trying to tackle their cat issue and they're trying to tackle their vet access issue. So we were able to match them up with Massachusetts SPCA, who has a large population of vets working for them, a lot of vets um, on their staff. They have a lot of surgical capacity, so they're able to help them in that area. And then they do a lot of cat rescue too. So specifically there, we knew those were their issues and we were able to find a partner for them that was matched with them well. Um, But then in Ardmore, in Oklahoma, you know, they really needed everything. They needed help with managed intake, with community cats, um, with flow of animals through the shelter. And that was more of a holistic approach to helping that shelter there. So then we found another shelter with a, a local that was able to provide more localized support to help them really with everything, anything and everything they need. So we do ask the partners to come up with a plan in the beginning of what the funding will be used for. But we also understand that these programs, these partnerships are 12 months. So throughout the course of that 12 months, things are going to continue to change. So that's really the value of having this ongoing 12-month support is you can the way that you support the your fellow shelter can evolve. You can use the funding differently from how you originally thought you would. And you can really just be a resource for them, understanding that a lot of the barriers that they're going to come against are probably things that you've already overcame. You mentioned Ardmore. I did speak with uh, Casey, the director of Ardmore Animal Care Shelter, and the mentor in that relationship, Shelby Waters from Suris Valley Animal Shelter in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, and we'll hear from them next week because I want to know more about the why and the what. You know, Carrie, we're here in 2022. We have these little devices now that we can put in our pocket that gives us access to basically like all of knowledge in human history. So whether it's best friends or other organizations, there are lots of great webinars and playbooks and guides that can help people with setting up programs like managed intake, like a community cat program. So why do this shelter collaborative program? I think you're missing the human element of it, which is really, really, really important. So You can read our manuals, you can read our playbooks, you can listen to the podcast, but there's a lot of value in being able to really just have a conversation and have somebody who's been through what you've been through 
who can talk to your boss, who can talk to your staff, who can just let you know that what you're feeling is valid and that they've been through a similar experience. And I think that's um, something that we as a movement are trying to focus more on is on the human element of animal sheltering and the importance of mental health and preserving our capacity to continue in this field uh, long term. And I think to be able to do that, we've got to have partners. I mean, COVID has isolated us. You know, we're just starting to get to the point where we're coming to conferences again, which I think has been really refreshing for a lot of us who have really come to rely on that. And there's just so much value, I think, for anybody to be able to talk to other people who have gone through what you're going through and can really continue to be a mentor for you. So always on the podcast, I want to make sure we're giving folks tips and advice on how to do things on their own. Uh, and this is a good example, I think, because the program is always going to have limits. Our program, your program, is always going to have limits on how many at any one time. But mentorships don't really require a third party like best friends, right? So anyone can do it. But what I think is important, and I think what the collaborative is showing, is that you do need to have a structure. What are the goals? How often are we going to communicate? What am I able to help you with? Because we want to make sure that everyone's getting the most out of it. So we, all of the funding, like I said, we give some grants, all of the funding goes to the mentor in most cases. So that provides some incentive for the fellow to continue to engage with the mentor, to continue to tap into that funding stream. Like you said, we have quarterly goals for each fellow to, to achieve both in the number of animals that they've been able to save and in their save rate. Then we also have when the fellow achieves a 90% save rate for six consecutive months, the fellow and the mentor both get a bonus grant, which there's no um, specifications on how that funding is used. So there is also a financial incentive for them to achieve their goals together uh, so that they can get that little bit of extra push at the end. But even without those financial incentives, a lot of this stuff, like I said, is just having somebody to connect with. So you can find an organization in your community. You can reach out to your regional team. You can reach out to me, the Shelter Collaborative Team. You can look on our website to our dashboard and see who in your community is um, in need of uh, support to save more animals. And you can reach out to them and just say, hey, what do you need? I want you to know that... I've been there and I know that things can get really hard, but I want to be a resource for you if you need anything, if you have a question, if you have a weird animal case or a weird human case and you want to ask me how I would handle it, then just call me. You know, I think that, that we need to be able to connect more with our community. And a lot of times shelters are so slammed with the animals and the people in front of them that we're not really able to get out and connect with other animal welfare people in our community, other shelters in our area, in our town, in our state. And this is an opportunity to connect with them in a way that maybe you haven't before. You're so right about the human connection and the one, that one-on-one -on -one dynamic. You know, all it takes, I think, is seeing one mega thread on an animal welfare Facebook group where someone's asked a question and 200 comments later, everyone's mad. And you realize that those places may not always be the best places to go for advice and support. But in the case of the collaborative, you know, this is a personal connection. You know that this is a good person who really is trying to help you with good advice. But let's talk about the time commitment. I'm not someone who asks for help very often. 
I rightly or wrongly assume that the person is as busier, busier than I am. So I don't really want to bother people. But I was thinking about this in preparation for our chat. And it is sort of like asking the public for help. You know, we're very sheepish about that. Concerns over pulling back the curtains, you know, and then we're not always sure that they're going to help. Maybe they're just going to come and hurt us. But time and time again, we see the public will be there for you. And your peers will also be there for you. People in this industry on the whole really are incredibly giving and generous with each other. Right. I think we thought initially that most organizations were going to say no to being a mentor because they don't have the bandwidth to reach out beyond their doors. But we've honestly had way more mentors sign up than fellows because organizations find that this sort of outreach is in line with their mission. You know, a dog and a cat is a dog and a cat, whether it's in your community or not. And if their mission is to save more animals, then they want to reach out. They want to support their community. They want to elevate their own organization to be seen as a mentor in animal welfare. And these staff, these directors, they really feel the weight of being in this situation where you're having to make euthanasia decisions every day. And having to face your staff and facing the public and just feeling so drained and they've been able to make the transition towards having a better relationship with the community towards lifting up staff morale and decreasing euthanasia and they feel really confident in the changes that they've made and they have a strong desire to share that with other people to help other people get out of the rut and the situation that they've been in the past. Well, just so I'm clear, this is sort of anything goes when it comes to the assistance, right? It's really about what the fellow needs and, and what the mentor can offer. Like I have lots of big dogs and the mentor can help take some of those, uh, but also maybe help you boost your adoptions with some marketing for big dogs. We've had some partnerships that are really trying to focus a lot on the transport aspect and we try to move away from the transport actually so your example in the beginning about big dogs would would only be a small portion of it because the goal of our program is sustainable programmatic change and we just find that transport can be a, a piece of changing the the population of the shelter and, and changing the day-to-day -day of the shelter but transport alone is not a long-term sustainable solution to decreasing euthanasia at the shelter it has to be part of the whole big picture so we do try to encourage these partnerships to be focused on a lot more than just transport understanding that at the end of the 12 months if the transport stop we want to make sure that the changes that we've made are sustainable. So we don't want the mentors to be the change. We want them to support the fellows in making the change so that our goal, of course, will be that when the program ends, there's still always going to be some element of support, ideally, but we don't want things to go back to the way they were once the program ends after 12 months. We want these to be sustainable long-term um, improvements. I imagine there's a pay it forward element to this. You know, a fellow goes through this and gets all this amazing knowledge and experience and confidence. Is the goal then to turn them into mentors and just keep it going? We already have some organizations who the regional team have worked closely with to make big changes at. We already have organizations like that who are becoming mentors, which is really exciting for us to see. But I think a big milestone for us will be the first time that an official fellow becomes an official mentor. And it's definitely a goal of ours. Someone listening right now to this and they're saying, well, I'm a network partner and I want to be part of this. 
what opportunities are there? Do you have open slots right now for mentors and fellows? Mm -hmm. So we had three partnerships in 2021 that were sort of our mentor group. And I mean, our pilot group. And we saw in those three organizations that in the first 12 months of their partnership, the fellows saw their gap, their number of animals they needed to save to get to 90 decrease by 70%. So we saw a lot of success in that pilot group. So then we were able in 2022 to increase the number of organizations, the number of matches to 15 is our goal. So we have a lot of matches going right now. We're learning a lot. Our team is learning a lot. There's three of us on this team. And we're continuing to make new matches to find new partnerships. And so far, the ones that we've started this year are also going really well. And we're really excited to see all the changes that they're making. In 2023, our goal is to have 40 new matches. So those partnerships can start as early as October. And we do find that the process of finding the right match, putting together the plan, getting the right approvals takes a lot longer than we originally expected it to. So we are right now working on ramping up our efforts to find new mentors and new fellows. So an ideal mentor would have already achieved 90%, would be able to have some bandwidth to provide in-person support to a fellow shelter. And then a fellow would be both willing to make changes, willing to open up their doors literally to us to see the behind the scenes, be willing to share monthly data with us. And then also is going to be an organization that has animals to save in their gap. So we wouldn't take on a fellow shelter that's already at 90%. We would want them to be in a situation where they are needing to save animals. So that those are a little bit of the generic qualities of what we're looking for in our fellows and our mentors. And anybody who's interested in participating um, can reach out to us. Our email is sheltercollaborative at bestfriends.org. We'll put that email and more information about the program on the podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Scroll down and click the link for episode 105. So 40 new fellows is the goal for the program. That's only 40 shelters. I mean, I say only. I mean, that's amazing growth for the program. Carrie, congratulations. Can't imagine how much hard work it's taken to get to this point, but it's only 40. There are thousands of shelters and rescue organizations across the country, but you don't have to go through this program to be a mentor or a fellow. So what advice do you have for folks on that? I think that it's a, a good, it's always a good idea to reach out to shelters and community and find out what you're struggling with and if there's anything you can help with and just be a support person for the humans working in animal welfare, understanding that it's a really hard position to be in. And we're happy to help facilitate those um, matches, give advice. We don't necessarily have any sort of guide on it right now because each of these partnerships has been so different so far. And I think that's a lot of the value to it. I think that the the bottom line would be just to approach organizations from a place of what do you need and not necessarily, I think that a lot of people think about receiving help and they think of somebody showing up with like a suit and a clipboard and, you know, making grimace faces while they check things off on their list. So I'd say generally avoid the suit and the clipboard approach. But other than that, I think people have a pretty good idea of how to support other shelters and to just think about it, you know, if you were in their situation, how you would want to be approached. So again, if you're listening to this and you want more information, you know, you, you think you have help to offer or you really need help, reach out to uh, you all at the collaborative team and you'll help them sort out how to move forward, right? Even if it's not as, you know, an official participant of the program, uh, we're still happy to help and figure out what we can do. Yeah, there's three of us. So 
we'll get back to you and see how we can help. You know, we're flexible in the way that we help shelters. And we're already talking about new ideas and new ways to support shelters outside of the traditional um, matchmaking process. You know, if we can do like shelter collaborative lights where we just help with one or two programs for a shorter period. You know, we're talking about trying to get shelter directors just to embed in each other's shelters for a week or two, just to get an idea of, of what other shelters are working with and how other shelters work. Not necessarily to teach other things, but really just to experience the day-to-day at a different shelter. Thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. It means a lot to me and to all of us that you tune in every week. And if you do find the podcast entertaining and more importantly, helpful, will you share it with your networks, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, help us reach more animal welfare professionals who can benefit from what we're doing here on the podcast. And I'd like to thank Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blighton, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. And a special shout out today to Kim Clonch, my superstar volunteer who helps with the transcriptions for each episode. Huge congratulations to her as she just got hired on at Best Friends. I'm so happy for her and it's a good lesson there, folks. If you want to work for Best Friends, volunteering with us is a great way to get started. Okay, so thanks again and next week tune in because we're going to have more on this awesome shelter collaborative program. My name is John Dunn and this is the Best Friends Podcast.